Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. We're coming to you live on this Tuesday, September 19th. I'm your host for this program, Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you'd like to find out uh, more going on at our congregation just south of St. Louis, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. In this program, Concord Matters, we're walking our way through the book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, to see what our church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of God's holy word. And so that's what we're doing on this program, and we invite you to participate today. If you've got a comment or question for our guests, uh, you can contact us in several ways. One is our toll-free number all across North America. That toll-free number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the number is... Area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us your comments or questions. The email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. Today, we welcome two guests to the program. First, I want to welcome a, a gentleman I've had on this program before, and that is Pastor Andrew Preuss, of uh, Trinity, do you say Gutenberg or Guttenberg? Uh, we say Guttenberg. Trinity Guttenberg and St. Paul McGregor, uh, a dual parish there in, I believe it's the Iowa East District. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We're as far northeast in the district as you get. Near Minnesota and Wisconsin. and Is it yep, so bordering Minnesota, Illinois or Wisconsin? Uh, we border Wisconsin. So Dubuque is the Dubuque. tri-state area. And we're just north of Dubuque, about 40 miles. Good. And Andrew, where can people find out more about these churches, Trinity, Guttenberg, and St. Paul and McGregor? Is there an online presence? Yeah, we do have a website. If I remember correctly, you really like it. Yes. Uh, The name of it is called listentojesus.info. And so you can go on there. And uh, we, we haven't been updating it as much as we should have, but I'm... I've been meaning to get on the ball more with that lately, so... I know Um, how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Well, we're glad to have you on the program today. Our other guest is a gentleman, uh, let's see if I can pronounce the same, Rod Zwonitzer? Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Rod. Rod Zwonitzer. Rod Zwonitzer, pastor of retired in the villages of Florida. That's for sure. And the former, the former uh, director of broadcast services here at KFUO, and one of the founding hosts, the original hosts of this very program, Concord Matters. 
Good yeah, to talk with you, Rod. It's good to hear your voice and to be on again, Charlie. And uh, hello to you, Andrew. Yeah, hi, hi, hello to you. I remember being interviewed by you um, a couple of years ago. So And you survived. <laughs> I did, yeah. And now, from what I understand, you are... Uh, you are uh, down there with uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Rojas. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. We we love Pastor Rojas. So, uh, yeah, great, yeah. great man, a young preacher, a man of God that I really yeah. adore. Yeah, he's contending for the true confession of our Luth- of our Lutheran confessions, um, like a you know, like a faithful pastor. So that's good that you're down there with him to give him support. Good. Yeah, sometimes it's it's you know good to go to an old horse and ask him uh, you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. what what he sees. So yeah. good to be with you guys. Yeah. So Rod, I was going to say, what are you up to? And I thought your answer might be, well, like three feet of water on the golf course. You know, our golf courses. We have the world's record number of golf courses, and uh, they were engineered to uh, be a floodplain. So when we got over a foot of uh, moisture from Irma. Our golf course is all flooded, and it's going to be some some time before they open. But uh, you know, they did their job and saved the property and the roads, so uh, we'll take that. But uh, what I'm what am I doing? The, the exciting thing in my life, besides uh, helping Pastor Rojas at church, and is uh, I'm I'm trying to finish up two books, Charlie. Okay. Uh, one, I've got a co-author who I hope he's a famous author, and I hope I get to. Uh, reveal his name shortly here and have a publisher, is an amazing topic on apostasy and perseverance of faith. Okay. Uh, the, the potential title I have right now, which is kind of interesting, is Is a Possible to Lose Saving Faith? Sola Scriptura says yes. Okay. And then the second book I'm doing is a cookbook that I've always wanted to do. So I'm just in the closing stages of both of those, which... Besides everything else in my retired life, takes some time. All right, so cookbook, yeah. What is your, what is your favorite meal to cook these days? Well, you know, I'm I'm just kind of de- finishing up one. Have you ever seen the uh, the famous Lutheran Norwegian movie Babette's Feast? Oh yeah, yep. I think it's Danish I, actually. Uh, well, maybe it was set in Norway, so maybe I'm off there. But okay. anyway, I did my own version of that uh, famous uh, French gourmet meal All so right. uh i just served it to some people and uh it went over pretty well so um yeah good well we're glad to have you back on these uh, airwaves rod uh you were such a big part of kfuo for a number of years well there's so many good people there and so uh if you just express my hellos and love to all the staff there for me, Charlie. I will do that. Very good. Well, today we're getting into the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5, Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. We've been in this section for a number of weeks now. Um, and we're now in a section, the passages that the adversaries misuse. And I'll ask either of you gentlemen to give us a little context or review where we are in this section of uh, Article 5. So what was the issue here regarding love and the fulfilling of the law? Who were these adversaries? What sort of passages were they misusing? And why were they misusing them? So any of that, go for it. I'll ask you both this. Start with you, Pastor Preuss. What's the context here? 
Well, the the passages uh, that they're that they're using. Um, well, we could start with uh, uh, you know from First Corinthians thirteen is kind of what he starts with there, um, and uh, that is where it, in First Corinthians thirteen, Saint Paul gives an ode to love, and and in there he says, "If I have all faith but have not love, I have nothing." Mm-hmm. So they're using that passage, for example, to to say that therefore faith alone doesn't justify, because if you have faith but not love, then you have nothing. And uh, and so the the whole the whole goal here from the from the the papal side is to prove that we are declared righteous before God, um, not by not 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 merely by faith in Christ and what he did for us, but also by, by faith and added to it our own works. And why and is that so, a problem, Pastor Zwanitzer? Well, um, if, if we add, you know, try to take anything away from the merits of Jesus Christ and, and the promises, you know, given thereby to all of us uh, that he really did, uh, satisfy God's uh, anger and wrath about our not being able to keep the law. So there's that huge difference right there uh, that uh, we believe the Bible teaches that no one is able to fulfill the law, uh, but Christ fulfilled it for us, and also the punishment for our breaking of that law. And so, uh, you know, we're starting from a, a totally different position, and, you know, that's that's kind of the uh, the discussion that's going on here. Uh, in this little section, and, and the, the whole uh, Article 5 of the Apology to the Oxford Confession, that the adversaries of Roman Catholic uh, theologians are trying to state that um, what, what we need for salvation uh, is, is works. And so we're going to argue that, uh, no, uh, that it, it, it all uh, you know, begins and flows out of faith in, in the merits of Jesus Christ, the gospel, we would say. Okay, very good. So that kind of sets the stage here for the discussion that we are in the midst of. And here, Philip Melanchthon, who was uh, Luther's right-hand man at the time, this is 1531, is responding back to the Roman Catholic objections to the Augsburg Confession of 1530. And so he is uh, undertaking to respond to all their uh, passages that they Cite uh, saying that no, it's not just faith; it's it's your works that save you, uh, that put you right with God. So that's the context uh, of the discussion that we're jumping into now. All right, so we're going to pick it up at paragraph 156. We're using the uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. In some editions of the Book of Concord, this might be a continuation of Article 4 on justification, but in this edition it's considered Article 5 on uh, love and the fulfilling of the law, and we're picking it up at paragraph 156, and I'll read a paragraph or so, and then I'll ask our guests about that. So paragraph 156, uh, the address of Tobit 4 verse 11 ought to be received this way also, and then he quotes the verse, Alms, A-L-M-S, alms free from every sin and from death. We will not say that this is an exaggeration, 
although we should see it that way, so that we do not detract from the praise of Christ, whose right it is to free from sin and death. But we must come back to the rule that without Christ, the doctrine of the law is of no profit. Now, there's a couple of definition terms we need to uh, deal with before we continue. One is this reference from Tobit. Now, Andrew Preuss, when I open my Bible, uh, I don't see a book of Tobit. What is, why is he quoting from Tobit? Well, that would, that would be included among the, the books of uh, uh, commonly known as the Apocrypha. Um, they were kind of the intertestamental books okay. that were written between the time of the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament. So they weren't, they weren't part of the canon of Holy Scripture. They, they weren't seen to be as inspired. Um, they weren't accepted unanimously by the Church, but they were still included as useful books okay. um, for, uh, for spiritual reading. Sometimes we call these the deuterocanonical, meaning like secondary. Uh, they're not in the canon, but of secondary nature. And they were widely used. And so uh, the Roman Catholic theologians uh, will quote that. And then Melanchthon is even taking them on their own turf here um, in, in responding to even how they misuse this passage from Tobit. Now, the other question, uh, Rod, that I have for you is this term alms, A-L-M-S. Um, what, we don't use that term too much these days. What are alms? Well, you know, you can look at a dictionary definition, and I think most of them would have something like is, uh, you know, gifts given to the poor, the downtrodden, uh, food, uh, you know, money, uh, those kind of things. Um, and, and maybe we could even stretch that a little bit and equate it with uh, what we in Christianity talk about, at least in Lutheran circles, as good works. Okay. So, you know, you might have a narrow and a broad definition of it there. Works um, of mercy, we might say. Works of mercy, that's a good, uh, it's a good way to phrase it. That's why you're the host. <laughs> so they're saying, they're quoting this passage from Tobit, where it says, alms free set you free, alms free from every sin and from death. Now, the question is whether they're quoting this little snippet uh, according to the proper sense or not, and that's where we're going to go on from here. I just wanted to introduce these two terms, Tobit and alms, so we can understand where the discussion is leading. And uh, Melanchthon has just said uh, that this may be, uh, if you take it just as it is, it's an exaggeration, but we don't want to detract from the praise of Christ because he's the one who sets us free from sin and death, so we can't uh, neglect the doctrine of Christ. All right, so we go on to paragraph 157. Therefore, those alms please God that follow reconciliation or justification and not those that come before they do not free from sin and death by the outward act itself. And the Latin phrase for that is ex opera operato, by the outward act, uh, having been worked. As we have said above about repentance, we ought to embrace faith and its fruit. So here we must say about alms that this entire newness of life, this entire newness of life saves Alms also are the exercises of faith, which receives the forgiveness of sins and overcomes death. 
uh, while it exercises itself more and more, and in these exercises receives strength. We grant also this, that alms merit many favors from God, lessen punishments, and merit our defense in the dangers of sins and of death, as we have said a little before about the entire repentance. So let's just pause there. Um, Rod, are alms a good thing? Absolutely, and I think he's, he's uh, you know, followed a, a nice line of reasoning here that uh, we're, we're not, we can take that uh, saying from uh, Tobit uh, 4.11, that they do free from sin and from death if uh, faith in Christ is at the forefront. So uh, as he goes on to explain, uh, everything flows out of uh, saving, justifying faith. And so, um, you know, as Luther once said so rightly, uh, faith can't help but to do alms, to do works of mercy. Uh, it naturally flows, but it doesn't, uh, you can't reverse that and say uh, that, you know, works of mercy must precede faith, or they do precede faith. No, they're a result, they're a fruit of that. So he's making a, a nice argument here, and I, I think, you know, we can, we can, uh, say too that he's making a great point that uh, you know w- without faith uh, there's no good works mm-hmm. uh, in in God's uh, y- you know view and of course that's the view that counts and so you know we could we could also define it this way that there are no alms uh, without one believing in in the saving reconciling work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. But uh, Pastor Andrew Price, can't a non-Christian give alms? Um, well, this is, this this brings us back to uh, Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says, "Do not practice your righteousness for others to see," and, uh, and then he he points to the hypocrites, that is, those who who put on a show that they're believers, but they don't actually believe. So the, the answer is sort of yes and no. They can they can to to the extent of in outward appearances. Um, and they and God might even work it for good for the mm-hmm. sake of His elect and for the sake of good order in society. That you know, a lot of outwardly civil acts um, are uh, good. Civil acts are done by uh, by by unbelievers. But um, like Pastor uh, Zwanitzer was saying, you know, this is that it's it's not uh, truly um, a good work apart from faith. And so what what Jesus says then is do your good works in secret so that your father who sees in secret would reward you and uh you know so so what does that mean to do it in secret well that means to do it in faith to okay. do it with with what the eyes cannot see and that's faith and that's what only God can see and so you and another thing too is that faith what this teaches us also is that faith is concrete faith carries itself out through love and within our daily vocations in life or stations in life. And so it's kind of like, you know, when, when Paul says, for example, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it was, it was actually in the Treasury Daily Prayer uh, 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 devotion this morning, um, that, that a woman will be saved through childbearing as she continues in, in, in faith and holiness and self-control. And that is, w- w- that is to say that within her vocation as of mother within that concrete station in life, God is going to save her. So God doesn't save us in the abstract; He saves us through faith alone. But that faith is never alone, and it's always, it's always taking place in our lives and care and, and laying hold to the promise 
in concrete situations. And speaking um, of, of the concrete, you know, this is not just some generic faith in whatever, but Pastor Preuss, how would you uh, a- amplify this term faith? I mean, faith has an object. Yeah, it's faith. It's faith in Christ, and it's faith in the promise. And, uh, and this is something that uh, how often and in what circumstances do we need to have faith in the promise? Well, always and in every circumstance. And so, you know, when you are giving alms, you are trusting in God who gives alms. And so when you give alms, it's actually an act of faith if done, if, if done with faith. You know, so, yeah. so faith is always acting. Um, and that's what, you know, the, we, we talk about faith that's kind of directed to the promise and mm-hmm. clings to the promise, but also the faith that, that is acting out while clinging to that promise and seeking it and striving for it and claiming it, holding God to his promise. So, you know, think of, for example, um, um, Abraham, you know, who, who by his obedience is proven to have faith. And so he is, he's, he's uh, you know, or, or even Jacob, you know, who wrestles with God, and he's holding God to his promise. You know, there's this, this is, this is a very active uh, uh, life, you know, in the Christian life of faith. So it's an active demonstration of a living faith, evidence of a living faith, and the fruit, the natural outgrowth of that faith in a merciful God that we would then be merciful. That's right. That's right. Rod, you want to add anything on that? I was just recalling one of my favorite passages, which I use a lot uh, to, to talk with people about uh, good works. And uh, I always try to define it in how, how God would define alms uh, that are pleasing to him, that are acceptable, with Hebrews eleven six, that without faith, uh, it it's is impossible to please God. And so, you know, people might do uh, acts that would be outwardly um you know, to society, as, as Andrew was saying, uh, look very good. Yeah. But God would not accept those as pleasing to him, uh, it, because as as Melanchthon is showing us here, um, they, the uh, outside uh, activity uh, has to come from the faith which is on the inside, and, and that order of faith first and then the love uh, in action flowing out and and the concrete, uh, you know, tie there, as Andrew was saying, is really where we're going. And and that's the dispute. Uh, I think think a little later on in the passage, uh, he talks about this with, uh, in regards to Romans 5, with the uh, inside and and outside of the believer somewhere. Uh, no, it, it's, I think it's maybe out of Luke. I'm getting them confused. But in any case, in this section, he talks about that. And, and so as he defines these outside things uh, as ex opera operato, and I always you know, talked about it in terms of just going through the motions, yeah. you know, just, just doing it without uh, your concern for what's your motivation. And of course, the, the only motivation there, going back to that Hebrews eleven six passage, is that you've been saved uh, by Jesus Christ, not of your own doing, but uh, by grace through faith. So it's given as a gift to you, uh, this even this ability to trust and believe, and then the alms, the good uh, fruits, the works proceed and flow out of that. Good. Uh, 
So that's, I think, the stream that Melanchthon is running with here. All right. Let me go on to the next couple of paragraphs, 158 and 159. we got a minute before the break. At least let me get these out here. Paragraph 158 and 159. Tobit's address, regarded as a whole, shows that faith is required before alms. And now he's going to quote a couple other passages from Tobit. Be mindful of the Lord your God all your days. Afterward, bless the Lord your God always and desire of him that your ways be directed by him. So these are a couple quotes from elsewhere in Tobit. This, however, belongs properly to that faith which believes that God is reconciled to it because of his mercy and which wishes to be justified, sanctified, and governed by God. But our adversaries, charming men, pick out mutilated sentences in order to, to deceive those who are unskilled. Afterward, they attach something from their own opinions. Therefore, entire passages are, require, are to be required. According to the common rule, it is inappropriate, before the entire law is thoroughly examined, to judge or reply when any single clause of it is interpreted, is presented, rather, is presented. When produced in their entirety, passages very frequently bring the interpretation with them. And after our break, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, uh, to uh, get at what Melanchthon's saying here in terms of proper or improper ways to interpret passages of Scripture. But we'll come back to that right after this break. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a two-fold purpose. We defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone, and we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio, prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. For the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word because sarcoma is cancer. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is bringing hope to the families whose lives have been turned upside down by a cancer they had never heard of until diagnosis. Please join us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, go to curesarcoma.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, inviting you to another KFUO Sunday, September the 24th at Zion Lutheran in Crosstown, Missouri at 7.30 in the morning and at Salem Lutheran in Farrar, Missouri at 9 a.m. Both of these churches are located in historic Perry County, Missouri. Join me for a great time about KFUO. That's Zion in Crosstown, Missouri, Salem in Farrar, Missouri, Sunday, September 24th. 
The dome of the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. stands as a symbol of the American nation and the meeting place of the U.S. Congress. The Capitol Rotunda Dome contains four mural-sized paintings. One is a well-known painting depicting the signing of the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, presented to Congress in 1776. The five writers standing are John Adams, Roger Sherman, Robert Livingston, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. The founders were influenced by Enlightenment-era ideas and the Bible's teaching on equality. Adams and Jefferson particularly admired Jesus' teachings on morality. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back. We're back on Concord Matters. We're in Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession on Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. We had just read before the break paragraphs 158 and 159, where Melanchthon is responding to his adversaries, the Roman Catholic theologians, uh, misuse of uh, uh, one little verse in the book of Tobit, uh, in the Apocrypha, in the Deuterocanonical books, where it says, alms free from every sin and from death. And Melanchthon has been showing that uh, they're excluding Christ and faith in just uh, cherry-picking that little verse. And so in paragraphs 158 and 159, he supplies other passages from the context of Tobit itself uh, that show uh, uh, that maybe it's not exactly what the adversaries are saying. So he says that they have, uh, these charming men, the adversaries, have picked out mutilated sentences uh, in order to deceive. Uh, he says entire passages are to be required. And then he closes this section. When produced in their entirety, passages very frequently bring the interpretation with them. Pastor Rod Zwanitzer, what does this example show us about the ways, the proper ways to interpret the Bible and improper ways to interpret the Bible? Well, I, he's doing a great thing here by saying that, uh, and he uses the word, uh, deceiving those who are unskilled. So those that might hear just that one uh, verse of Tobit, uh, verse 11, that all is free from every sin and death, might think, well, uh, the, the uh, Romanists have just scored a big, big victory here by showing clearly that it's works that uh, God wants and that, and that give us salvation that we so desperately uh, need. But if, he's saying if you look at the, the context, the verses before and after, what's going on there, uh, it really turns out to support uh, you know, the Lutheran position mm -hmm. and goes against them. Uh, so we, we need to be careful to look at the entire passage to see what's going on, what's the stream of thought, uh, and is he, really, is he really here making the point that uh, Rome says they are, and he proves here, I think, fairly clearly that uh, no. Uh, I, I love that. You know, he says they're uh, picking out mutilated sentences in order to do this. Yeah, these uh, charming men. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek uh, going at him. And, and so, uh, you know, he, he, as we talked about before, they basically leave Christ and the gospel out. And right. the passage he, he, 
he goes with just a couple passages said no it's, it's all pointing or belonging properly to that faith which believes that god is reconciled to it because of his mercy yeah so and this is a good principle for any for interpreting any passage of scripture and we were trained in this at the seminary you know to look at the immediate context the larger context within a book within the scriptures uh that this helps you to uh not fall into bad biblical interpretation all right uh, pastor Preuss, i'm going to ask you about this next passage let's start with uh paragraph 160 uh where melanchthon writes Luke 11, verse 41, is also cited in a mutilated form, namely, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. The adversaries are very stupid. He doesn't mince words there. Maybe he's been learning from uh, Luther. Um, time and again, we have said, time and again, we have said that the gospel about Christ should be added to the preaching of the law. Because of Christ, good works are pleasing. But our adversaries teach everywhere that, Christ being excluded, justification is merited by the works of the law. And let's just pause there. Pastor Preuss, uh, this seems to say that uh, works are making us clean. Why is that not the case? Well, this, this again goes to what he was saying before about how we have to take this in the context of the rest of Scripture. And as he will continue to explain, you know, he really lays emphasis in the, the, the things that are within. Well, what is within? It's faith, as, as Peter says, and we'll get to, you know, in Acts 15, 9, that, that your hearts are purified by faith. And so what Jesus is simply saying here is that if you are pure by faith, then um, you're going to give alms according to... Uh, the, the, the faith that's within you, and therefore the, the, the things that you do are going to be pure because you are, um, uh, by faith, pure. And, okay. uh, you know, this, this gets again to, you know, that they exclude Christ. Well, well this is this uh, one simple way to, to explain this is that the Bible isn't a rule book. We're not Masons, you know, who believe that the Bible is just this, this, this supreme book of rules and laws. No, the Bible is uh, what reveals the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, which certainly includes the law, but we, but but primarily it in, includes that uh, that chief doctrine of justification. And so, if we're going to look at the Bible, we got to look at the, the the whole context and understand that it's teaching us the doctrine of of Christ, the doctrine of faith. And if the law is there, it's it's there to lead us to repentance and to faith in Christ. And so. Um, so this, this, again, is, you know, you got to look at the whole context here. Good. Yeah, let's go on here, because some of the things you're saying is what Melanchthon now will go to, like the Acts 15 passage and so on. So let's read a little bit further, paragraph 161. When this passage is produced unmutilated, it will show that faith is required. He's talking about this Luke 11, verse 41 passage. Christ rebukes the Pharisees who think that who think that they are cleansed before God, that is, that they are justified by frequent bathings. That's talking about their ceremonial washings. This is just as some pope or other, I like how he puts that, as some pope or other, uh, who says that holy water, quote, sanctifies and cleanses the people, quote, end quote, and the gloss says that it cleanses, quote, from venial sins. 
such also were the opinions of the Pharisees that Christ rebuked. Against this phony cleansing, he sets up a double cleanness, one inward, the other outward. He bids them be cleansed inwardly and adds concerning the outward cleanness, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So he's not just talking about the outward um, almsgiving, as though that cleanses you, but he says, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Pastor Zwanitzer, what's the point here? Well, the point is, and I think uh, we were talking about it uh, before, is that um, if you only look at the outward acts and not what is motivating them and what they are flowing from, uh, you are going to have this pharisaical view, as as uh, you know, our Lord points out that uh, these outward acts then are going to take over and consume the religion, uh, and so it will all be based around uh, the law, what you have to do or not do to please God. And in this case, he's you know Jesus is mocking them for this um, uh, ceremonial washing before they sat down at the table. And he responds, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So we we could uh, equate this, as Melanchthon does, with the the outside, the outer acts, uh, being those that are not coming out of faith. And the inside is being faith, which then goes outside and everything, as he says, uh, then is clean, uh, mm-hmm. as he ended that section. But give us alms, those things are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Everything is flowing out of right relationship with God. Everything is flowing out of your salvation. And we can add, too, as we Lutherans emphasize, that our alms, our, our works of mercy, are not done for ourselves and our salvation, but they're done as a result of our salvation, our faith for our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, and so everything that flows out of that saving faith um, is, is for the world and for our neighbor. And, and uh, uh, he, he's making the point very well here. Good, good. Yeah, so that the outward act needs to flow from an inward prior cleansing through faith and when it does, it's beautiful and everything is clean. Our good works are accepted by God if they proceed from a faith in Christ, which justifies. All Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Good. And um, let's go on here. I want to try to get through paragraph 166 today. All right. So paragraph 162. The adversaries do not rightly apply the phrase everything, for Christ adds this conclusion to both parts. All things will be clean unto you if you will be clean within and will outwardly give alms. He shows that outward cleanness is to be connected to works commanded by God and not to human traditions. These traditions were the bathings held at that time, like the daily sprinkling of water, the clothing of monks, the distinctions of foods, and similar pompous acts appear this way to us now. But the adversaries distort the meaning by transferring the universal phrase to only one part, like sophists, all things will be clean to those having given alms. Now, Pastor Preuss, 
uh, in addition to putting the cart before the ho- you know what is it putting the yeah putting the cart before the horse in uh, and just showing the outward act. It wasn't just the works of God that were commanded by God that by which they thought they were justified, but what else were both the Pharisees of Jesus' time and the Papists of uh, Luther and Melanchthon's time, what else were they doing in addition to thinking it was that their works justify them? It wasn't just the works commanded by God, it was also what? Well, it was traditions of men, and, and you know, this, is, this really gets to what what happens when you're under the law. If you think that you can be justified according to the law, then what you're naturally going to do is you're going to lower the bar, yep. and you're going to come up with works that are easy to do, and um, on top of that, which you can do in order to bolster yourself above your neighbor and show that you're better than your neighbor because you do all these all these uh, uh, other works. I mean, we see that with, with you know holy water or, or with with going and becoming a monk or a nun. Yeah. Um, today, you might have, you know, in the evangelical world, you know, they go out on their mission trips where they don't really necessarily plant congregations. They just kind of go and get their own spiritual fill. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what faith alone uh, does for us is it actually ends up exalting then the works of God that He has actually commanded and exalts the stations in life that God has commanded and says, therefore, that, you know, the ordinary stations in life like you know, being obedient to your parents, uh, submitting to your husband, loving your wife, um, being a good citizen, you know, doing your duty mm-hmm. in your station, in your church, that these things are good works because God has commanded them. They're not good works because somehow you are meriting anything, and if, if that's the case, well, then why not make up other things whereby we can merit grace? Yeah. Um, but if we can't merit grace, well, then we end up actually extolling the, the works of God, um, because after all, God is the one who saves us. Um, not ourselves. I like how you put it that they were actually lowering the bar on the law to make it manageable, something they could they could outwardly accomplish to make themselves uh-huh. look better than their neighbor. You know, we often talk about the Pharisees at legal as legalists, but actually they weren't making the law as severe as it really is. They were actually making it outwardly easier by just emphasizing, you know, how many steps you could walk on a Sabbath day's journey, or you had to wash your hands a certain way, you know, where they could sort of outwardly look good at managing these things. No, exactly. And, and you know, I think a common misunderstanding of the Reformation and is, is that somehow Luther and the, and the Reformers made it so that uh, God wasn't as strict. And, and uh, you know, we when you, when you ask people what's the difference between Lutherans and Roman Catholics, they'll say, well, the Catholics are strict on things like they don't allow divorce and stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, neither does Jesus, you know. Yeah. And and, uh, and other, you know, th- this is uh, this really entirely missing the point. The fact is, is that faith alone affirms the total strictness of the law, and that we are we we live as uh, as Christians, but in the in the sinful flesh, and and we're not denying that. We're not trying yeah. to play some some fantasy that that somehow we're our our, our flesh has those those pure desires that yeah. the spirit of the law requires. No, they don't. Yeah. So, so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall surely not enter the kingdom of heaven. And exactly. he shows Jesus actually amps up the law. You know, you've heard that it was said, and, and the Pharisaic way was, well, if you can at least uh, look good and you haven't actually committed murder or you haven't, uh, you know, committed adultery physically, well, he says, no, it's worse than you think because uh, mm-hmm. your heart isn't right with God. In thought, word, and deed. 
All right, let's move on here. Paragraph 163. Yet Peter says in Acts 15, verse 9, having cleansed their hearts by faith. When this entire passage is examined, it presents a meaning harmonizing with the rest of Scripture. If the hearts are cleansed and then outwardly alms are added, that is, all the works of love, they are entirely clean. That is, not only within, but also without. Why is not Christ's entire speech added to it? There are many parts of the rebuke, some of which give commandments about faith and others about works. It is not the place of an honest reader to pick out the commands about works while the passages about faith are skipped. And we've already talked about that, how the, the opponents were rather selective uh, in, uh, I, as I call it, cherry-picking their snippets uh, out of context to support their wrong view that uh, somehow works can justify you. All right, let's go on here. Paragraph 164, and this gets to a pastoral issue here. Uh, paragraph 164. Last, readers are to be reminded of this. The adversaries give the worst advice to godly consciences when they teach that the forgiveness of sins is earned by works. Conscience, in seeking forgiveness through works, cannot be confident that the work will satisfy God. It is always tormented and continually invents other works and other acts of worship until it completely despairs. This course is described by Paul in Romans 4, verse 5. Uh, maybe we'll take a moment. Let me just uh, find that here in a moment, so I don't think they quote that. But let me read uh, Romans uh, 4, verse 5. Since... He who does not work but trusts in him and justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Thank you. So it's it, where Paul says it's not your work, it's your faith that's justified, that considers justifi justified. All right, so this course is described by Paul in Romans 4, verse 5. There he proves that the, right, the promise of righteousness is not obtained because of our works. We could never affirm that we had a reconciled God, for the law always accuses. So the promise would be in vain and uncertain. He concludes that this promise of the forgiveness of sins and of righteousness is received through faith, not because of works. This is Paul's true, simple, and genuine meaning. In it, the greatest consolation is offered to godly consciences, and Christ's glory is shown forth. He certainly was given to us for this purpose, namely that through him we might have grace, righteousness, and peace. Pastor Zwanitzer, uh, you have been a longtime parish pastor, and uh, this matter that we're talking about here today is not just some academic ivory tower exercise of splitting hairs, but this leads to real issues of conscience and uh, in the lives of people. How is this a pastoral matter? What is the, what is Melanchthon drawing, saying here about how this discussion is not just an academic quibbling, but really has to do with people's conscience. I, I would assume that uh, you know both uh, all of us pastors here today, uh, you know, discussing this, have had uh, Christians talk to us about uh, the problems they're having with their consciences, and, and you know this is so Lutheran because Lutheran himself he really he struggled with conscience. I remember once reading a sermon by Luther on a passage from Timothy where. He said, a, a, a clear conscience 
is at the heart of of, of all uh, Christianity. And and I think what he's you know saying to us there is that uh, you, you know our conscience knows why we have done something. What's the motivation? And and as uh, Pastor Poise has so wonderfully pointed out before from Matthew six, you know we're not looking for. Uh, you know, doing our good works, our alms in front of people or, or, you know, telling them about them. We know that our good Lord in heaven sees them, and he also knows what's inside of us, what's motivating us to do these good works. And so, um, you know, the, even I've, I've had times where I've wanted to do a good work uh, for another person, and maybe I never pulled it off the way that I intended it or I wanted it to. But the good Lord knows my intentions were all honorable and for the best of my neighbor. And, and so, um, you, you know, we, we always as pastors would give that dear soul who's talking about that conscience that's in doubt. We would, we would absolve them. We would say, you're forgiven in that gospel. We're, we're not forgiven by what we've done or, or left undone. We're, we're, we're cleansed, as we, as we talked about from Luke, by that uh, freely flowing grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, in the gospel. And so we would continue to turn to that, uh, as, as he says here so wonderfully. Um, the, the law can never, uh, you know, provide that. It can never give that. It, it just accuses and demands more and, and uh, you know, puts a, additional restrictions on it uh, that sometimes we think we can do and, and even attaches it to human traditions. And so, uh, you know, a great one here to give consolation, to give comfort to troubled uh, consciences so that uh, Christ's glory and his mercy is at, at the heart and center of all this. So that if we teach that we gain forgiveness or justification before God by our works, what we are going to do is drive people to despair because they will think, have I really done enough? And is God really satisfied? And we can never be certain that we have done enough. And if we are certain, well, we're tr twice the child of hell because then we're thinking that we have satisfied God by our works and we would be proud and arrogant and not realize our sinfulness. So this has yeah. real pastoral application. And I was going to say not only with, with our Christians, but I've had you know, some great conversations with Mormons who were right in here. And the Lord, with a few, uh, wonderfully brought them out under that law burden uh, to see that Christ did, did it all for them. So I think we can say that, too. It's not only for our work with believers, but also for unbelievers, yeah. that we can show them that it's not the law. Uh, you know, Christianity is not of the law. It's of the gospel. Yeah. But, you know, we, we can't leave out that part, too, of the, the law uh, sets us up for the sweetness of the gospel. We just appoint us to that. Uh, Good. I, we just have about three minutes left or so, and I want to get through paragraphs 165 and 166, and I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Andrew Price about justification and how many ways there are to be justified before God. So I'm going to read paragraph 165, have a brief pause, and then go on to 166. So he's wrapping up this section on the misinterpretation of passages. So far, we have reviewed the chief passages that the adversaries cite against us. They point to these passages to try to show that faith does not justify and that we merit the forgiveness of sins and grace by our works. 
Now listen to this laundry list that is about to follow. But we hope that we have shown clearly enough to godly consciences that A, these passages are not opposed to our doctrine, B, the adversaries wickedly distort the scripture to their opinions, C, most of the passages that they cite have been garbled, D, while leaving out the clearest passages about faith, they only select from the scripture passages about works, and even these they distort. E, everywhere they add certain human opinions to what the words of Scripture say. F, they teach the law in such a way so as to suppress the gospel about Christ. And then I want to add, uh, other than that, they're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is about as damning uh, for the Irenic Melanchthon to squash their approach. I'm just pausing there to to insert that because I found that almost humorous. But I want to wrap up with paragraph 166. The entire doctrine of the adversaries is, in part, derived from human reason. In part, it is a doctrine of the law, not of the gospel. For they teach two ways of justification, one derived from reason and the other derived from the law, not from the gospel or the promise about Christ. Now, with just a minute left here, Pastor Andrew Price, how many ways of justification are there in truth and what is that way? So our listeners can find their uh, confidence in this. There's only one way uh, to be justified before God, and that is through faith alone in Christ who by his obedience unto death, made full satisfaction to God's law on our behalf. And that means, then, that the law cannot accuse us when we are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. Mm-hmm. And that means, therefore, that when we hear the law, that we are not slaves to us, but we are rather the masters that God has made us to be sons of, of our Father in heaven, and we can walk in these good works that uh, that even though when the law does accuse our sinful flesh, we still can do our duty with joy, knowing that we are free from all condemnation through faith in Christ our Lord. And that's the gospel. And dear friends, our listeners out there, that is why this radio station is here, the messenger of good news, this good news of Christ, uh, by which you are totally forgiven and justified, is for you. You've been listening to Concord Matters today on Worldwide KFUO.